listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 307, The Best Contender. Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie, who seem to be and sound like they are fully recovered from the England fallout of of past times, and they are looking ahead to World Cup 2022, no doubt. But let's start off on a lighter topic, because it's been a little depressing lately. I got a text message from someone asking... If I could, or if either of you could complete this food challenge. So, are we ready? Fire away. Yeah, fire away. You would get $3,500. It's a very random number. I don't know. To finish this in 90 minutes. It is from McDonald's. It is four double quarter pounders. Two 20-piece chicken McNuggets. Two large fries, and four sodas. I will allow it to be a diet soda if you'd prefer. Can that be completed in 90 minutes? Um, I would lean towards no, but maybe for the money I could motivate myself to do it. But I would say no, because every once in a while when I've been feeling you know, greedy... I've done just the order of like 20 nuggets with a burger meal. And just that it's, I rare, I can't finish the nuggets and the meal. Now, admittedly, that's not me trying to complete a food challenge, but to imagine then having 20 more nuggets and three more burgers and another fry and three more drinks, I think it would be, it would be tough. It's, it's close enough to feel like it's attainable. Like you, you think of I don't know. Like, I'd give um, myself a chance. I would try it. What would you? What would you start with? I think I would feel better starting with the chicken nuggets. Oh, that's getting heavy in your stomach, though. I think you save oh, those. and the double quarter pounders. Four, four <laughs> double just... quarter pounders. Here's the only way I think I could do it too. I need this request. I need things made to order, so I don't want it. I don't want a dumped on my table. 40 nuggets and four burgers and then like i'm eating 65 minute old nuggets i want to sit down at a mcdonald's table and when i'm done with the 20 nuggets i go go and get 20 more nuggets that would be the only way <laughs> wow. I, think I, I love is that, i love is that the, how you treat the fast uh, food staff? yeah i love it was the aggression with eddie like breathing <laughs> heavily after eating so much meat get me the nuggets <laughs> to clarify that was more addressed at either of you two if i was participating in the challenge not to the person working at mcdonald's i'm not assuming they're standing by me eagerly awaiting my next order that's a good point when you do it are you in a restaurant? Because there's a bit of nerves about people watching you gorge. Like, is there, or is this a takeaway option where this I can do it in the take. solace of my this, own house? No, this Sam, is such this, a is Sam an, take. this is an in-house, like as in in McDonald's challenge. And we get to yell and scream as much as we want. So as people are walking by, I could be like, look at this fucking loser trying to do a challenge. <laughs> He's not even trying to do a challenge. This is his lunch. Look at him. Look at the disgusting. Look animal. at this fat bastard. Look at him. He's he's a real piece of shit. <laughs> what a clown. He just claims there's a challenge to make himself feel better, but we all know there's no challenge. He does this every yeah. Tuesday. Don't worry, guys. I'm doing this for a friend. <laughs> I'm doing it for leukemia, guys. <laughs> but, uh, but no, he Cause that's the thing, right? I mean the fries wouldn't be edible. McDonald's fries, the lifespan on McDonald's fries is about 12 minutes. So yeah. like you'd either have minutes. <laughs> no, because I would say I would definitely save the fries for the end. I think that would have it's to just be the grease move. anyway, just sliding right down at that point. Yeah, And it's just shoving them in. It's unpleasant, but it's just a question of just mind over matter at that moment in time. So that's but they'd have to be fresh because the cold, cold McDonald's fries trying to shove those in would not be not be good. I think I think the money would motivate me to get really close. 
I'm not sure I could do it though, because I agree with Eddie. I've had those days where, you know, I've maybe had a little bit too much to drink or something. And I've thought that my stomach is like far bigger and more ready for food than it is. And I just wouldn't get close to the disorder. But I but feel if someone shoved 3,500, I, I could prepare for it. I'm ready. That's I think awesome. I'd get close. But Sam, that's right. I think most people listening to this probably when they've had a big McDonald's order, it probably is like the day after drinking order, which yeah, you want a lot, but oftentimes your stomach doesn't really want a lot. So like the, the concept of a lot is a lot more comforting than the actual experience of a lot. So it's probably not the best way to gauge how much McDonald's you could eat with like a clear head and a clear stomach. Yeah. I think to the four double quarter pounders sounds a little scarier than it is because I feel like at least the last time I've eaten a quarter pounder, you think it's a big sandwich, but then it's really not. I, I think I could honestly put down a quarter pounder in three bites if I really wanted to. So it, it's not as big as the double quarter pounder effect makes it sound. I think the hardest part would be the nuggets. Yeah. Nuggets is a 40 nuggets is a, a lot. A lot of chewing involved there. Yeah. But yeah, I think it, I think it's potentially attainable, but it wouldn't be pleasant. And the, again, as we discussed after the 4th of July, the following 24 hours wouldn't be fun either. Yeah. Is it worth the 3,500? You may be thinking that the next day. No, it is. Just the overall level of self-hate, right? Like McDonald's just has like a really negative effect on your mind. You know what I mean? It's just so greasy and disgusting. You eat some McDonald's and like, I, I honestly, like I instantly get a little bit more depressed. So I mean, it, a little bit more, like you're already depressed. It's a spectrum, Sam. It's always a spectrum. <laughs> it's true though, because I always, I mean, we eat in and out maybe once a month or once every other month. And I never feel bad. I'm, I always, I'm like, oh, I'm eating in and out, but it's, not much different than McDonald's, but if I were to say I'm eating McDonald's, I would feel genuinely depressed with myself. Yeah, I don't know it what it is. It has that connotation. No, it has like a siren's call, right? The second you yeah. start thinking about McDonald's, it's hard to get out of your mind, right? And then when you have it, or even when you press the buy button, you suddenly have this mass oh, regret inst- of like, yeah, I don't regret. think I want this. I really don't think I want this. Yeah. But there you go. Plowing through double quarter pounders, nuggets like it's your job. Getting shouted at by friends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd give it a go. I'd, I'd say I'd have a chance. I'd give myself at least a chance on that one. But I would probably fail, but I'd give myself a chance. I'll put it this way. I think I'd be able to make significant inroads into it, which already I think if you're confident that you can do that, that's a big... Like, I think I could get through the fries, the quarter pounders, 20 nuggets, and like one drink. I'd be confident of achieving that. Now, the rest, that's still a lot left, but I'd be confident I could get that much done in 90 minutes. I might Also, I just have to switch into the mode. I've never eaten McDonald's for 90 minutes. So already that's, you know, like... You could put a football match on. You could put a football match on. It's a normally a pretty... in a McDonald's for 90 minutes. (laughs) I think only once, and I think it was with Sam. I think it was with Sam one of the days after the Super Bowl. We went into Paris and we sat, which is one of the nights in McDonald's too, where it has table service. And we sat there and we were talking about a story from the night before while this American family on vacation was sitting next to us. And we undoubtedly ruined their vacation just with the four of us going back over some of the events from the previous night while this 10-year-old kid could clearly hear it. Just reminds me of your favorite moment walking up the stairs with your McDonald's order. Oh, also it's true. Yeah, one of my one of my best moments in my life, actually. <laughs> yeah, once we went before um, they got onto Eurostar to go back to London, we stopped at the McDonald's in front of the train station again. You had multiple McDonald's on one trip. <laughs> this is it's actually this it's is, actually quite a frequent occurrence when I go. But yeah, yes. This is a different trip, but it is the same. It's probably the Super Bowl, though. So it's still the same idea of like the Monday after the Super Bowl. But they're getting on the train. We go to the train station before. I was carrying up the stairs the drinks and the fries on a tray. And obviously you can't like see your feet as you're carrying. So I'm just like carrying it up all relaxed. And I missed a step. 
and then tripped and just face planted and these four cokes and four fries just went flying everywhere which also like you already are at a low point when you're in mcdonald's falling over in mcdonald's and spilling your drinks everywhere and having the entire restaurant stare at you is a real low point and then it was made worse by the fact that i kind of like embarrassingly went back to the counter to ask for if they could replace it and they gave me the stuff for free which was nice of them but whilst i was doing that these little homeless kids ran inside the mcdonald's <laughs> now this is funny but ran inside the McDonald's and then were eating up the fries that were on the ground soaked in Coke that was that had been dropped. Like they had sensed that this accident had happened and they there were six or seven of them just scurried in and were just gobbling it up. It was like something out of Oliver Twist. Yeah. The great story about it was then Eddie got the stuff and tripped over the kids. <laughs> it just became this perpetual cycle. Well that sums up Paris in one story. But you're right, Frank, to go back to your starting point, my voice has mostly recovered. I I don't think it's quite, I'd say I'm at like 90% now. Yesterday was kind of the moment at which I started to feel like I could hold a conversation normally. So just a three-day recovery time. I still still cough when I try to speak a bit normally, Um, but... How do you feel about the game? Have you recovered emotionally as opposed to just physically from the England loss? I wasn't that down. As I said, I genuinely, to me, it was... I was accepting of the fact that losing to Italy was not the worst thing in the world. Um, As I've continued to see more from the day itself and read more stories, part of me is pleased. I I feel like the behavior of the supporters and the nation means that we didn't deserve to win anyway. But, you know, still optimistic for the future. And look, as I said, I get to embrace my own theory here, right? That this means I look forward to 2022 more than I would have done had they won. So, Speaking of which, they've gone into third favorites for the Qatar World Cup as a result of their final loss. So uh, the two people above them are Brazil and France. And then everyone after is your usual suspects like Germany, Italy, um, Spain, well, Germany, Germany Argentina. are saying they, Germany are saying they might not even attend the World Cup. There is growing pressure from within the German camp that they will sit it out because of concerns over the human rights violations in Qatar and just what went on in terms of building the stadium. So there is mounting pressure within Germany to have the team set out, sit out, and that's including senior figures from within the German Football Federation coming out and saying that they would consider. They would be fine with the German team not attending the 2022 World Cup. Do you think that has to go beyond just Germany, though, to be effective? Like UEFA would have to say something, or England would have to go in with them, or France would have to go in with them? Well, Norway have already said something similar. It holds less significance with Norway. because If they don't qualify, yeah, we did it because we didn't want to go. Or maybe, Sam, it looks worse because it's like, Oh, if Germany are against this, true. then this is definitely not right. <laughs> yeah, we're 80 years removed from what they last did, and they're not on board <laughs> with this. They won't even go play football there. <laughs> they know the way the winds blow these days. If they see something going south, they're going to stay away from it. True, so, yeah, yeah that, might be the, uh, that might be the cool there. But England then might think, you know, France boycott, Spain boycott, we've got a shot here. <laughs> I would say there's no way France would ever boycott just because of their strong ties to Qatar in many, many ways, including obviously PSG. I can't imagine a scenario in which France boycott. But I mean, we laugh at the concept of Norway boycotting, but they do have Erling Holland. So you are talking about the prospect of potentially at that point in time, the best footballer on earth. You know, like he, he will be in that discussion, not attending a World Cup because his nation is boycotting and seemingly they are then with again with the noises coming out of the Norwegian camp the players are fully on board with it now the risk is that FIFA has turned around to them and say hey if you boycott this world cup you are being suspended from the following world cup so then you start to get if you're Holland you could suddenly be in a situation where 10 years of your career could fly by without an international tournament through A, your country not being quite that great, and then also through boycotts and suspensions. 
Or you could, from, from all the boycotting nations, you could do what they do in the Olympics, like when Russia had the neutral team and then there's the refugee team and you could create this all-star team of like Haaland, some German players, actually becomes a good force. Sam, I think that undoes the point of the boycott. <laughs> if he goes, yeah, I'm boycotting with Norway. I'm not boycotting the World Cup, though. I'm boycotting because they said they're boycotting. Yeah. So, yeah, now it would be interesting if they, if the, if FIFA did that and then they turned around and did a rival competition that summer, if they started to get some potentially interesting nations involved, would that... If for me, I'm not I'm not okay with the idea of Qatar hosting this World Cup. I feel a little bit torn about the idea of watching it. I know I will. And I'd like to think that I'm better than that, but I'm not. And I know I'll watch it. But if you told me at the same time there was an international competition going on with 32 nations that didn't qualify or who boycotted, and it was pretty decent, it might tempt me. And in some respects, right, if Norway hosted it, it would be the antithesis of Qatar hosting it. Although both have oil, but different, you know, like that would be, it would still, in terms of what they stand for as countries, be very, very different. Yeah, I look forward to that 16-hour journey up to Lapland to this 15,000-seater stadium for the game. That's actually an interesting point about the hosts, because... What is it going to the US and Canada or Mexico for 2026? I think it is. And then 2030 is up in the air. But I know the UK Ireland are considering a joint bid. And there's there's kind of theories or rumors swirling around that what they saw at Wembley in terms of uh, crowd problems, obviously the, the kind of disgusting kind of racist comments that have come out, just the England behavior overall of its fans has maybe jeopardized that bid. Like, I'm not too sure about it because they gave it to Russia. <laughs> so I don't think there's going to be that level they would ever reconsider. But I don't know what you think. Can it can can the kind of stuff you saw on one day of football fundamentally affect something nearly a decade down the line? Yes. But wait, be, be, before Eddie... Oh, Eddie just said yes, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's more to that answer. Before you answer, how much has the top brass at FIFA changed recently because I, I know there was like all these allegations of like even why Qatar is even hosting it, you know, with all the inside payments and deals and things like that. Has that completely changed now? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the Qatar mm. awarding it to Qatar and Russia was basically the reason why it changed because basically yeah. the, the, there was massive investigations into it. They realized that all these executives across the globe in the different confederations were accepting uh, bribes in the form of, I don't know, like incentivized money for like Trinidad and Tobago or something like that, which led to a giant purge essentially of all this FIFA stuff, which is why you've got Infantino there at the moment who is on a drive to clean up the game basically or clean up FIFA at least. And that's, I think the part that worries me then a little is you can't say that, you know, well, if Russia had it, why can't anyone get it? Because obviously they're getting away from that. And then also if they're trying to clean it up and make it a better game in quotation marks. And, and look, Russia hosted a pretty much faultless world cup. I don't want to know what went into them doing that necessarily, but they managed to, their World Cup went down smoothly. People who went to it loved it. So I think the scenes out of Wembley on Sunday were horrific. They were an awful throwback to what we think of in, you know, footage from the 70s and 80s. So, yeah, I put it this way. If I had a vote on FIFA, I wouldn't give the UK, well, I'll say specifically England, um, the World Cup anytime soon. It would be out the window for me. You know the Call of Duty Warzone Gulag, Eddie, and Prison? Like, that's why the Russian one was so successful, because they <laughs> had lots of those set up. Probably. Look, I think you should stick all those England fans, or so-called England fans, on Sunday in the Gulag. But I did like, have I got news for you? Which is a sort of like semi-satirical news show, news show uh, Frank. They had a tweet, which was something along the lines of... Uh, Football clubs uh, push back against calls to ban racist fans from stadiums, saying that they won't be able to support themselves with only 90 fans in attendance per match. 
It's like something along those lines. And it was one of those which is, uh, it might, might cut a little bit too close to home there. I, that was actually going to be one of my questions. I didn't know if we were going to cover this kind of again since we covered a little uh, last podcast. Do you, do you think this is a small minority of people that now that every instance that occurs, it gets broadcasted and put into the media and it's not, I don't want to say overhyped, that's not the right word, but it's, it's kind of making something that is a few just really dumb, ignorant idiots make look, look to be a bigger population of the people. Because you I saw like the a... Marcus Rashford, like the mural, for instance, with Marcus Rashford. I imagine that to have been one to two people that defaced that mural. And then you had thousands upon thousands of people come and put positive messaging and cover it up and, you know, put their own little spin on it. So, Which is defacing still, by the way. Even positive <laughs> messages are defacing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, different. But um, I'm torn. Look, I think there's a significant percentage of England football fans who are racist or hold sort of discriminatory or hateful beliefs, even sometimes not strongly, but it's still there. I also just think that within the game, it has such a history of racism and discrimination that there's part of that culture that even if, I mean, there are football chants across almost every club that, you know, most of the stadium will chime in on that are offensive and whether or not the intent is still there behind them, the, the, the message is still there. And I always think that, that what that allows is then within the kind of crowd that gets a little bit out of hand is for things to escalate pretty quickly because you already have that culture sort of boiling there, right there beneath the surface. So, look, I don't think, you know, I've attended a lot of football matches in England. I've never seen anything that I thought was, I've never seen anything like Sunday, put it that way. Um, and for the most part, people are very friendly and accepting. And look, even over the course of Euro 2020, people spoke about how at a lot of matches, the England fans and the stadiums were very accepting and friendly towards people from all different types of backgrounds. But I think it's a genuine problem within world football, but also specifically within English football. Look, Italians can't throw any stones on this one. You know, Italian football is incredibly racist, openly so, to a greater degree than English football is. But that doesn't mean that it's not a problem in England. Speaking of Haaland coming from that conversation did you i assume you've seen the news that chelsea have kind of approached um well harland and dortmund uh with a well double part exchange i guess in terms of two players plus cash um so it's tammy abraham's um actually i can't remember the other one <laughs> which is which is fantastic news reporting from my part but anyway um yeah they've offered two players plus cash for him and dortmund have basically said like this is impossible. It's not going to happen. But my theory is here that he's now 10 to 11 to like move to Chelsea because they've made the first move. But do you just think this is the start of the inevitable move to the Premier League, this kind of transfer window? Or are Dortmund going to keep him? You know, they've lost Sancho now. Are they going to keep him? Or um... Everything over the course of the year coming out of Dortmund, when you listen to sources coming from Dortmund said that Sancho was going to go this summer and Holland will go next summer. And that is there. And Dortmund run themselves in a pretty structured business plan about when and why they sell their players. And obviously their business model is relies on the fact that they turn a profit on their players and that Holland would not be sold this summer, that they have no reason to sell him and that he just won't go. And I find it difficult to imagine that that's changed for any reason, and especially given the fact that it's then seemingly gone to plan with the Sancho deal. And so I think Holland will stay. I think he'll go next summer um, to either, I mean, obviously Barcelona are probably out of the picture, even with Messi signing a new deal and 50% of the wages. But, you know they are not they can't be involved i think it's the premier league right so it's a battle then between city united and chelsea in all likelihood i think he ends up there but i think he ends up there 12 months from now and another thing with me was these this concept of like part exchanging players 
did the players get told? Because uh, it was Hudson Odoi, by the way, who was the other player. But then it's just said that the people representing Hudson Odoi came out and said that he's not a part of any swap deal involving Ireland. And I sometimes think to myself, like, do you just offer players or do you talk to them about the fact that they're getting <laughs> offered? <laughs> at Chelsea, I think they just talk to them. I don't think they talk to them. I think at other clubs, you might f- put some feelers out and say, look, we're con- contemplating this. Would you be open to a move to Dortmund? You'd think it would be sensible because there's no point Dortmund turning around and saying, yes, let's go for it. And then Tammy Abraham's turning around and saying, I'm not interested. I don't want to move to Germany. So you would think the sensible thing to do. It's always delicate, right? Because it's like anything. You then have to tell the player, basically, we don't really want you. But then if the deal falls through, then you have to turn around and say, no, no, we really want you now. Like... Erling Holland's not coming, so we really, really want you, Tammy, because you're going to be really important this season. Yeah, it's like in Football Manager when you get the offer to clubs, but don't set as transfer listed and not needed. You're exactly. almost like, I hope they don't know this. You're yes. playing this 50-50 game where it's like, I hope they don't get angry at what I'm doing here. So speaking of players leaving teams and being traded, maybe without knowing or knowing the full situations, I saw this morning on ESPN, Adam Schefter said that the Eagles are the leading contendant, candidate, contendant, what the hell, that's not even a word, leading candidate to get Deshaun Watson. Do you think Deshaun Watson plays in the NFL next year? No. I think it would be one of those where even if he signs with the Eagles, the NFL then comes in and he gets suspended for some time which the Eagles wouldn't be that unhappy with because then they don't have to pay him while he's suspended. So I could see a deal being done, but I cannot see him actually taking the field next yeah. year. So what, what is what, what is the situation with Watson at the moment? Because I thought it had all died down. Is it so there's like an official investigation or what actually yeah, is a, happening with Watson? There's an investigation ongoing. Okay. But they what they were saying is even sitting out a year – if he were then re-eligible or pays his dues or whatever it may be and does come back the following year, they would be a top five contendant. Why am I saying this word? What is, what is contender. this? Contender. <laughs> I'm mixing contender and candidate together. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with my brain. They would be a top five contender for the Super Bowl that following year. I don't know if I buy that. The Eagles. The Eagles. <laughs> no. I mean, that's a hell of an off-season they're having next time for that to be the case. Okay, let's run through. Project it 12 months in the future. This is tough to do because a lot changes in 12 months with injuries and trades and, and another year of the draft. The Chiefs will still be in the top five for sure, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll move the Bucks out of the top five just because... 12 months more of Brady, 12 months more of Gronk. We'll drop them down. Someone from the NFC West will be in the top five. I won't say that's the Niners. Let's just say Cardinals. One of the Cardinals. Let's just say Cardinals. Sure. Let's just say Cardinals. We'll say Cardinals (laughs) are in the top five. There you go. Eddie just said the Cardinals are a top five NFL team. 12 months from now. The goading there. Um, it's true now it gets a little bit tricky when you start trying to project 12 months from now. It depends on sort of what step forward certain, like, are the Bengals Browns. a top five team? The Browns probably. Potentially the Titans. Bills. The, the Bills for sure, yeah. Potentially the Dolphins. You know, I was saying maybe can, even the Dolphins. Yeah. Potentially the Jets. The only thing the Eagles would have going for them, I think, is the NFC East. They would still probably be playing in the worst division even 12 months from now that they could probably go undefeated in that division and definitely be in the playoffs. Yeah, although Dak will be back, so the division should get harder. It is crazy that he's only 25 years old, Watson. He's still really young, but... I don't know if you saw... Did you see the news that Travis Kelsey, we've been mispronouncing his last name the entire time? Is it Kelsey? Is it contendant? <laughs> from, from what I understand, it's just Kels is how it's supposed to be said. 
but we've just been saying his name wrong the entire time. Travis Kels? Yeah, it should just be Kels. That doesn't sound to... good. Well, then again, you've got Kelsey Grammar, right? So Kelsey would be spelled K-E-L-S-E-Y. So Okay, I was wondering where you're going there. I was like, it's not the same name. <laughs> no, just I was going to start talking about Frasier or something like that. I thought <laughs> we'd go off on some oh, tangents here. <laughs> but it's also interesting, right, because his brother also plays in the NFL. So we're mispronouncing two players' names. Both, Both good players, too. Yeah. I mean, Kels just doesn't sound good. Mahomes to Kels for the touchdown. That's just, it does. Ugh. It does make sense. There's no accent on the e, so there's no reason why it would be Kelsey. You know, like you, you'd either need an accent or a double e, or it would or be, be like Kelsey, Kel- or it would be like Kelche. Kelche. <laughs> you know, ooh, ooh la la, Kelcha. But <laughs> it makes sense, but it's weird that you go so long without saying anything about it. Yeah, it's kind of weird. The other thing I heard, too, that Adam Schefter, the other big thing he was talking about is he is confident that Rodgers will go the distance and is not afraid to just sit out up to the entire season. I don't see what Rodgers has to gain fundamentally. Like, I don't know what move he's trying to force at this point. I don't know which team would be desperate to sign him this close to the season. I don't know what contender definitely would really want him. Because all of the other contendent. teams seem to have, yeah, contendants. Maybe a contendant would like him, but I don't think any contenders would. <laughs> but I don't see which team needs a quarterback that doesn't have a quarterback that's close to being a contendant to win the Super Bowl this year. I just also don't get it because he's just, it seems like it's just like an argument, like a relationship argument. Do you know, like, I don't. There's, I don't understand the grounds that he's so upset that he's willing to sit out a season of the NFL just because he's mad that they're not consulting him enough, that they're not treating him great. Like, I don't get it. It seems Frank, very childish. Frank, we've all been there in a relationship. Sometimes you start having that argument, and at a certain moment, <laughs> you in think time, this is it for him. You've you've drawn your line in the sand, and it doesn't matter whether or not you think this line is now in the wrong sand. It's in the sand. And you Eddie, I've never been up. there before. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, that would be my point to this whole thing is like, surely we'd know by now if there was going to be a move. And also, didn't he come out like a couple of days ago or a week ago or something and say like, they're going to figure things out over the next couple of weeks. That hardly sounds like someone who's going to just sit there and Sounds like what nothing. you say, it, again, sounds like what you say in a relationship. <laughs> We're just taking some time to figure <laughs> things out. You know, it's just a break. It's an extremely neutral thing to say, and it's almost, it's meaningless, but still. So wait, so what is sitting out then in the relationship? Is that you just sitting in like the third, in the third bedroom, just playing video games all day and not participating? I love, I love, I love how middle class that sounds, in the third bedroom. It's Uh like, hang on, hang on a minute. It's sleeping on the couch. It's sleeping on the couch. It's sleeping, but it's you going to sleep on the couch. It's not you're sleeping on the couch tonight it is i'm angry with you i'm going to sleep on the couch like i have i will take the potentially less comfortable though oftentimes not so less comfortable but i will go i will make that move go sit in front of the tv you know watch tv all night make it look like i'm unhappy but maybe i'm not i was gonna say at this rate the length he's doing it he's probably got like one of those mini refrigerators built into the couch you know, he's got, he's yeah, got, he's got a his TV service, HBO yeah. Max. <laughs> I did like, I didn't watch as, I didn't pay as close attention to the match this time around as I did in the kind of original version of it, you know, the golf. But I did like the moment when Gronk called in. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, that was good. Gronk, Gronk called in to speak to Tom Brady and Gronk kind of made the joke that he was taking preparing for this season more seriously than Tom Brady is because Tom Brady is out there playing golf and stuff. And Tom Brady's comeback was, what are you talking about? I'm studying the competition. I'm standing 30 feet away from the leader of the Packers, I think. And I thought that was a, <laughs> that was a good little jive to get in there. And then they, they panned over to Rogers and he kind of just had like, a, he had a pretty good smirk on it. He took it in, in good fun. It was actually not a bad 
I watched half of it. It was decently entertaining. It seems a little overdone now. They're doing them yeah. too often. Yeah. The novelty factor, which is a big part of this, they need to make sure. Like maybe once a year I could tolerate, but it should probably even be like once every two years. And Brady's just not very good at golf, so that cuts away he's, from it too. He's also not that entertaining. So, <laughs> no. you know, so it's, you're missing out on the quality golf and on the quality conversation. They'd be better off, which is why like Manning was better and Rogers was better than him at both the golf and just the conversation aspect. You can only hear so much about TB12 before it gets really annoying. Enough about avocado ice cream. They did rip into him on the avocado ice cream several times. Yeah, but he loves that. <laughs> he does, though, you know. Speaking of the golf, Louis Stazen currently top of the leaderboard. A lot of the big-name players did all right. Most of them didn't at least play themselves out of contention. You had Bryson looking a little bit uncomfortable for a while, then recovered. Same with Rory. Spieth is up there in the scoring, but... Ram maybe, you know, finish one over and considering seven shots back, maybe Ram has played himself out a little bit. But yeah, you're right. Most of the big names are still up there and in contention. Yeah, you can't rule out that if you string three really good rounds together from seven back from a leader who you wouldn't necessarily expect. I mean, Ustazen has been really competitive in majors, but he has a tendency to finish second or third as well. So yeah. there would be part of your mind, if that was drawn Rom out front or Dustin Johnson out front or even Spieth, you might be worried that he might do this four rounds in a row, in which case if you're one over after day one, you're in trouble. But I think if you're John Rom, you're probably telling yourself, look, if I can get to 12 under by Sunday, I think I'm going to be in with a chance. Yeah, and speaking of Deshambo, did you see his end of the round quote? He said, "If I can hit it down the middle of the fairway, that's great. But with the driver right now, this driver sucks. It's not a good face for me, and we're still trying to figure out how to make it good on the miss hits." So directly after those comments, they went to, I guess, one of the heads of Cobra who makes their his driver, and he said. Everyone is bending over backwards here. We've got multiple guys in R&D trying to get this and that into the pipeline faster just for him. Bryson knows that. It's just really, really painful when he says something so stupid. <laughs> he then goes wow. on to say, it's better. It gets better. He's never really been happy, ever. Like, it's very rare when he's happy. Now he's in a place where he's swinging a five-degree driver with 200 RPM of ball speed. Everyone's looking for a magic bullet. Well, the magic bullet becomes harder and harder to find the faster you swing and the lower your loft gets. It's like an eight-year-old that gets mad at you. They might fly off the handle and say, I hate you. But then you go, whoa, whoa, no, you don't. We know as adults, they really don't mean that. And I know that if I've got him cornered right now, and I said, what did you say that for? He'd say he really... He would say that he was mad. He didn't really mean to say it that harshly. <laughs> wow. Doesn't make him look good. No, it, it makes him look even more like a dick than yeah. we thought. Because, you know, he's happy to fly off the handle with the people who have kind of given him the R&D and these weapons, you know, to yeah. do what he needs to do. And then just to fly off the handle like that. It's just irreparable damage. That's the problem. And that was Ben Schumann, who's the Cobra's tour operations manager, who knows him well, obviously, because he even caddied for him two weeks ago after DeChambeau fired his other caddy. This guy actually filled in and now calls him an eight-year-old. <laughs> I actually applaud that, though. I, I applaud them coming out and criticizing him as much because they easily could have come out and just put the most neutral statement out of, you know, you could cut it at the first 20% of what you said. Like, we're working tirelessly to do this and change this and he knows that and we're doing everything we can to like improve his game and improve the club and they could have just stopped there but i actually like the idea that they've come out and gone yeah but this guy's an absolute brat so you've <laughs> got to take everything he says at face value like we're a good company we we make really good stuff in this sport and we're not going to have some child tell us or some like petulant child who's getting a little bit annoyed as a swing um say otherwise so i kind of applaud that 
Yeah. And he's right, too. I mean, that guy is 100% right. He doesn't have to swing like an absolute madman to try and knock the cover off the ball. Like, when you're going to be that aggressive and swing that hard, this is a consequence. Like, if if it were that easy to have a mishit fly straight when you're swinging that hard, then everyone would do it. There's a reason why guys don't just wind up as hard as they can and destroy the ball because you're going to lose that accuracy. Yeah, and the reduced loft, right? Like five degrees of loft on your driver yeah. is is crazy. Um, but, you know, a lot of golfers anyway, which I think is interesting, Bryson's been one of them. They've been criticized for the fact that Obviously, they have their big sponsorship deals with their manufacturers, but then on course, they've been using different clubs to the ones that they are promoting. And that's not to say, obviously, everyone knows that his driver is altered in a way that you can't walk into a golf shop and buy. But there's been issues like I know Dustin Johnson has been with TaylorMade, you know, trying to push the Sim 2 driver, but then has been at times using the Sim 1 driver out on tour uh bryson had the same thing where cobra came out with a new driver but he kept using their 2020 driver even though the 2021 was out you know they kind of they did like like a launch event where for one uh tournament they use the new one just so that some photos can be taken and they kind of push it around in the, in the media and then have often switched back an interesting question for me i find that to be pretty unethical I think as a tour player, if you endorse a specific club, you should be required to use that club. Now, again, not factoring in alterations that could be made, which also then becomes complicated because you could just have Cobra basically make that old club look like the new club with alterations and say that Bryson is using the new club even though he's not. But it is an interesting one for me. I don't know how you two feel about whether or not it's questionable for a golf player to go on in a commercial and say, "Sim, the new Sim 2 driver, the bettest, best driver out there, and then turn up for the Masters the next week being using the Sim 1. That part of it, I take issue with. I, I wouldn't have a problem if, say, like you say, Dustin Johnson with TaylorMade, say if they came out with a club and he, quite frankly, just didn't think it was good for his game, therefore didn't market it. That's fine. But simultaneously, it's... Yeah, I don't think I agree with that either. I, I think from a product placement standpoint, you're selling people incorrectly if you market something and then don't believe it yourself. I wouldn't want that in any other sport, right? You wouldn't want footballers for one game wearing a boot and then all of a sudden never seeing it again because then you just think, well, the quality is compromised. He's just taken a paycheck to do this. I guess the same applies in golf with, with clubs. I think the tough thing with golf too is the right the principle of the golf industry is that the clubs are always getting better. Like that is the fundamental. That's the reason why you need to buy a new club, right? Not only, I mean, in part, we'll just be wear and tear and eventually you need a new club. But also the reason why they want people buying new clubs far more regularly than just wear and tear. They want you thinking, hey, you know how you bought a TaylorMade driver two years ago? Well, our technology is so much better already. You need to buy the new TaylorMade driver because... It's like the new Apple. It's like the Apple iterations and upgrades, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to go further. It's going to be more forgiving. It's going to have, you know, all of the bells and whistles that you would possibly want. And I think that's the thing that then becomes misleading and questionable is when that is the foundation of how you're selling clubs. And then you have professionals saying, no, this club is not better than the one you sold 12 months ago. Are are golfers allowed to do what they want in that respect? Like, is it um, so, you know, footballers who have sponsorship with, say, Adidas and things like that, they have to wear either or <laughs> um they have to wear it. i mean it's, it's not like either a simple or requirement actually. they could it's get a german fined. company it's adidas but yes there we go um in america <laughs> not everything is in america so sam <laughs> it depends on the golfer so some people sell sign a deal for every club they in their bag right so there are golfers out there who are sponsored for all 14 clubs you have golfers out there who just sign a deal for their driver and their irons and then they're free to choose whichever 
wedges they want, whichever putter they want. And then you have, say, Justin Rose, for example, he has no sponsorship or endorsement deals relating to his clubs. He famously signed that huge deal with Hanma, the Japanese golf club manufacturer. Massive, massive deal. He hated the clubs. He got out of the deal. And then ever since then, he now uses a kind of random set of clubs. And there's actually a surprising number of golfers on like high up in the rankings on tour who have no specific ties to golf club manufacturers and who are then just picking and choosing the clubs that they would, they think are the best for their game, which would be the interesting thing. Do you do away in some respects with the concept of the endorsement? Not no, no club manufacturer would ever do this, but if you got rid of, if the PGA outlawed, outlawed it, would it then be more interesting to then look and go, oh, look, 70% of tour golfers are using the tailor-made Sim 1 driver. They have no, and they're buying it themselves. They are choosing it because, not because tailor-made cut them a check for $50 million, but because they think it's the best club for their game. If you were really confident as a golf manufacturer in what you were making, and if you thought there was a real difference between one driver and the next, might be the bolder move to say like look we're not endorsing anyone anymore if you want it you buy it and if you see tiger woods using our club then you know that he's doing it because which i think scotty cameron might kind of do that with their putters i think they give them to people but i don't think they're real endorsement deals so that might kind of be the scotty cameron approach where it's like you choose to use a scotty cameron putter we'll make a special one for you but like this isn't a, you're not getting paid to use it, I think, but that might be wrong. Does a certain player really think that a Titleist Pro V1X is the best golf ball for their game? Or would they rather use a Bridgestone ball? It's just that Titleists are paying them more money. Yeah, I th- wasn't there that, um, there's loads of surveys just kind of tangenting for a second about like when you have influencers or celebrities on Instagram and they're selling a product most people don't trust the fact that it's a good product. They just accept the fact that they've been given a lot of money to be on the advert in the first place. So they think it's quite, quite fickle and think, so I would say I would rather be a sponsor that says, look, proof is in the pudding, right? We could easily just pay this guy a million to use our club and do promotional videos to show it, but he's using it anyway. Like we, we haven't got anything on record and I would actually try and get that as a marketing tool, a marketing spin, a marketing ploy. If I was a good golfer, I'd probably just try and do the the clothes and the bag. Like that's that's what I would sponsor. I just feel like you're the compromising. <laughs> yeah, you're just compromising your game. If well, anything that isn't a club, because I just feel like courses change. Right? They always talk about now how you have to extend uh, holes or at least make them ch- more challenging because of the way people are driving these days. And you feel like if you're going to hamstrung yourself into a contract with a sponsor that maybe goes behind the curve or gets poorer or doesn't keep up with the times of golf, like you say, it changes often. I, I just think you're committing yourself to potentially becoming a worse golfer in the quest of money, in the quest of like being an advocate for a particular club. I'm sure there are many golfers that have stipulations where they're sponsored by this company for their irons and this company for their driver or their wedge or their putter. I, I, I agree with you, Sam. I can't imagine that you would say I'm only using these clubs, but there is a driver out there that I know I can hit better. So I'm sure there are some that do do that, but I'm sure there are others that are more selective. Most of them will have an iron woods driver package. Like that's all of those. They'll be going maybe elsewhere for their wedges and for their putter, but for the the irons and for the driver that most, if you're a tailor-made guy, it's very rare to see someone using a tailor-made driver, but it is a separate set of irons if they're getting sponsored. What about balls? Balls is different. Almost all of them are using Titleist. So like Titleist is, I mean, it calls itself the number one ball in golf, right? But that's basically just because they pump the most money in. They've become the default golf ball of, of tour players. You have a few players using the Bridgestone ball, including Tiger Woods, including Bryson. He's Bridgestone as well. But for the most part, Titleist is the overwhelming choice of, well, choice or 
biggest payer of tour players. Lance Armstrong used to call himself the number one ball in cycling for a while. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, that's why you've got to go. I would just give sponsorship to close. It's not like I'm going to be compromised because of here's <laughs> because of it. like Nike's fashion. It's not like they're going to come out and be like, "Oh, for the open, we actually want you to wear a massive trench coat." But here's the other <laughs> here's the other possibility too. You're a professional golfer. You've tried a million different clubs. You can have any club you want, and maybe at a certain moment in time, you realize, you know what, it doesn't make a lot of difference. Maybe if you're Dustin Johnson, you go, "Do you know what? I can hit a drive pretty straight." 330 yards, even if you give me a frying pan. So if you're going to pay me five Taylor million, made frying pan. Yeah. Is that a if cast iron? Me, like a skillet? Oh, or, of course. He's cast iron. Or is, is it those copper ones that the nonstick coppers that everyone no, no, raves about iron. on infomercials? Expensive taste. It has to be nonstick. Otherwise, it's not going anywhere. But. No, but then you get more <laughs> grip, more spin. But um, you want that <laughs> for we, your wedges. Are we learning something here? Like, you want that for your wedges. Maybe you just think it doesn't matter. So why I would be dumb to turn down $5 million a year to use this club when fundamentally I don't think yeah. I don't think it's ever going to change anything. I'm going to be just as successful with it, which with whichever club I choose. Assuming it is You're then right. and- adjusted to my, because that's the thing we're not factoring in, right? Assuming then the length is perfect, the, you know, the, the degree on the face is perfect. The weighting on it is perfect. All of the different things, the grip width, you know, thickness is perfect. That's probably what matters more. That's exactly what I was going to say too, is because once you get down to all the individual specs and customizations they have, there probably isn't that much of a difference between a lot of the drivers out there. Again, the exception might be Bryson to take his full loop in that he needs a club manufacturer who is tolerant enough to put up with all of his nonsense so I'm like that the thing for him might be a question more of i need someone who's willing to work with me on all the clubs being the same length and working out the exact like everything being unique to me cobra is actually getting paid five million a year to have dechambeau be their their client so what else caught our eye in the world of sports this week that Conor McGregor was already injured before he then committed his super injury. So what is it? He had stress fractures in his shin prior to then rolling over and completely destroying all semblance of like his lower leg and foot. My, my problem here with it is that it's fine to say that, but at some point you must've been like medically checked over and Everything must have been checked. He'd be able to back this claim up. If push comes to shove, if this is a, if this is a real claim, he must have x-rays that show that will be in his medical records. So like really, if someone wanted to challenge him on this, I don't know. I'm torn over whether well, he or not said he would... talk to the doctor. So, I mean, he had to have a doctor's appointment, right? <laughs> did, he give the, did he give the name of the doctor though? He just talked to the doctor. Yes. Guys. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, he gave enough. the name of the doctor. So and has the doctor have, come well, out and said anything? Or? I haven't seen that. I mean, look, he doesn't strike me as someone who would make up excuses. Like that doesn't. He's bold and annoying and loudmouth, you know. But he's usually it's just brash overconfidence, not actually making stuff up. So. Part of me thinks if he's going to make the claim, it's probably true, but I don't know if it makes him sound better because it just makes him sound kind of stupid to have gotten the ring or the octagon, sorry, but it kind of bugs me because I, I, I just think of it as some arrogant guy that has basically just well, somehow is. lied or got people paid off to say maybe something. Flip it. Maybe, maybe it actually reveals more his insecurity. Because maybe Conor McGregor four years ago would have delayed that fight saying, look, I got an injury. Whereas now, what maybe what this reveals is he went into that thinking, if I delay this fight, they're going to accuse me of being afraid. They're going to accuse me of not being prepared. And so I can't risk saying I have an injury and not fighting because no one's going to take it. No one's going to believe me. 
So I have to run the risk of getting in this octagon and trying to win this fight. So in some respects, maybe actually him covering it up is more a sign of the fact that he was a lot more insecure than he lets on. Outcome's the same though, right? If he had come out and said, I can't fight because... Well, yeah, the outcome's the same. His ankle snapped in half. No, no, no. Like It wouldn't be if he didn't fight. What I mean is like, whether you had the fight and delayed it because you say this, you would have to release the evidence because like you say, people probably won't believe him. And yet now he's absolutely ruined probably his career. Um, you still need evidence on it because it's a claim, right? It, it It's diminishing what But happened. now people can't call him a sissy. And I think if you th- probably think- in the mind... Hmm? You think people now are? I mean, he broke his leg. I mean, no, no, I'm saying like, now people not... can't call him a sissy. Like if he comes oh, out and says, "Look, break. I, yeah, okay. uh, look, I came into this with fractures in my ankle already," people can't turn around and call him a sissy. Whereas if he delayed the fight originally, you would have people been like, well, "I would get in the ring anyway with those fractures. Like, what's the worst that could happen?" So, and in Conor McGregor's world, that might be the worst insult that you can throw at him. He'll take all the rest. But fundamentally questioning his bravery, which is kind of the thing that defines him, right? That yeah. might be the most unacceptable and and sort of most hurtful thing you could say to him. Yeah, it was quite funny though. Like um, all of the stuff coming out about like it doesn't matter what situation is going on in in like the ring or the octagon or whatever. But like Joe Rogan will get his interview. <laughs> it's like the guy is basically separated his foot from his leg and the guy's like how'd you feel how'd you get on with the fight it's like mm, i'm in shock and, maybe right now and not only is he ju- like asking that he's sitting down as if he's sitting down on a couch next to his friend watching a football game with a beer in his head like hey so uh connor how's the leg feeling good <laughs> it looks terrible <laughs> it looks great <laughs> so the last thing i guess we could round off with is this summer, there has been a lot of talk about the Tyreek Hill DK Metcalf race. So all of last year, there was kind of a back and forth on Twitter and Instagram about, you know, we should race in the off season, who would win this and that. There was a lot of push for it, but it, of course, didn't happen. And maybe one day will probably when they're both at the end of their careers and need publicity and money or something like that. But in the spirit of maybe one day having it, if it were run tomorrow and assume they're both healthy, who would win in a 100-meter dash? And two, who would you rather have on your team as your receiver? I think for me, the answer would be the same. I think DK Metcalf wins the sprint. And I think that I'd rather have him as the receiver. He's the more versatile receiver. I think, you know, no matter which NFL team you are, you are, you would, he would be your number one weapon and would fit into any system. Whereas with Hill, it's great with the Chiefs. And I'm not saying he's not a great receiver, but I think if you stuck Tyreek Hill under a really terrible team, it wouldn't look great. And you'd struggle to get him to be as effective as he is in just such a great offensive system with so many other weapons. What did he, um, what did Metcalf post? It was like 10.37, right? In a Olympic trial or whatever it was. 10.36. Okay. Sorry. Um, I'd rather take that. I mean, Hill hasn't run. I, I, I don't know about like college or high school running or what he's run recently, but I'd rather take the form at the moment. I'd rather take the Olympic trialist that posted 10.36 officially. So I'd take DK Metcalf in the running. Well, the issue is Tyreek Hill was a really, really good sprinter. So he ran the 200 meters in 20.14 at age 18, and he was sixth in the U.S. that year. No, I remember. I I mean, I remember they did that thing where they showed his 200-meter time if he'd been in the Olympics, and he's competitive, right, with his 200-meter time with the Olympic, the 200-meter Olympic final. In, I guess that was 2016 when they did that. But the 200 meters is different to the 100 meters, right? So, well, his best 100 meter dash is 10, 10.19. 
and he has run under 10 seconds, but it was with like too much wind. So he does have a faster time, but that that's Hurricane Katrina. I ran sub eight. So (laughs) that was in high school, though. So the circular 100 meters is much quicker. (laughs) So 10.19 is obviously quicker than a 10.36. But I mean, he's probably not as sprinter fast in a traditional sense and that he was in high school as he is now. So it would be I think it'd be super close. It would be fun. But I think I would also rather have Metcalf as a player just because the size is a huge factor. Yeah, it's a game changer. That, yeah. Would you watch that race if it were televised? No. Couldn't honestly, genuinely could not care less. They're both oh, very the right out of my mouth. They're, like, they're both very fast human beings. They're both way faster than average, but they're also both not as fast as Olympic sprinters would be. So, no. If it happened right in front of would me, would you watch I'd the watch. two fastest European footballers race? No. No. Like, I have no interest, say, Ronaldo in his prime. I watched a program once where Ronaldo ran against a sprinter. Horse. So it was Ronaldo against, like, the. <laughs> against the horse. It was Ronaldo. It was Ronaldo against like the 10th fastest sprinter in Britain and the sprinter just crushed him. And then afterwards they did it because it was more, that was then more program about the technique that they use for running. So then they had, I think it might've been Michael Johnson, but it could have been someone else basically breaking down. Well, look, the way Ronaldo runs is very effective for someone who needs to change directions. So he's all arms and his legs are going out to the side and stuff at times, but it's like very arm in like going away from his body. Whereas a sprinter, you just want everything to be tight and straight. And so they went over with them saying, (laughs) basically went over with, well, Ronaldo could improve significantly by changing his technique, but that technique is not suited to playing sports. It's built for sprinting. Semi-interesting program, but I definitely don't have any interest in watching just fast people run against each other who aren't quite as fast as the really, really fast people. Yeah, it just feels like kind of like it's it's almost like the Jake Paul boxing thing. It's like, yeah, undeniably they have practiced boxing, but fundamentally they're not boxers. And it just feels like an exhibition in a sport they're not doing. And therefore I would lose interest. Like if it was like, oh, watch Ronaldo and Messi do archery. Like, oh, I watched I that. Don't... No, 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 no. See, this is <laughs> oh, where you're wrong. Like... I would watch them. No, it's not. It's not. So it's when not does it go from being normal enough and comical enough? Like when... it's, it's not <laughs> traditional archery. It's like facing each other archery. It's well, like, like, a, like duel. a duel. Well, like a duel. <laughs> like a duel. Oh, well, that I would watch. <laughs> yeah, I would watch that. That would be fascinating. Yeah. Um, they have chainmail on, but still. I will watch it. I would... <laughs> what? What? What era are you in? <laughs> Like with these players. (laughs) He's imagining a knight's tale, basically. Um, (laughs) Just recasting uh, with Messi. Well, one of them will have to be recast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I I would watch people do... It's like when they used to do the... When they did, they used to be that TV show where they took professional athletes and made them compete against each other. I'm, I'm down with that. But I want to see them do sports where I can't immediately assume, well, yeah, I know he's good at this. Like, I know Ronaldo would be pretty good at jumping-related events, right? Like, this is clear. He can jump really high. I also know he can't jump as high as Olympians or as long as Olympians do. So I'm not that interested in seeing it unless he broke the – the only way I want to see it is if they just break a world record. If Ronaldo decides to do the high jump and smashes the world record, then I want to see it. But if it turns out that they go, well, if Ronaldo had entered in the Olympics this year, he would have finished 35th in the high jump. Who cares? Now, Eddie, what about the show Pros vs. Joes? Do you have interest in watching that? Yes. That I'm on board with, too. Because then you're putting your reputation a little bit on the line. Is the, the idea that it, so it's the idea of an athlete going against just the average everyday guy off the street, obviously with some yeah. background. It's not like you, there, fifty-year-old overweight guy, try and run against this athlete. I, I assume. Yeah, but the the caveat was they were always retired, 
people. So it was a little still unfair because I want to yes, see Gopinar at the top of their game. I want to see this England team just take penalty shootouts against random people and see how long it would have to go until they won one. <laughs> that would be pretty good. Saka has just missed his 19th penalty in a row. He still <laughs> thinks he should be in the first five. All right. Well, I'll talk to you boys later then. See ya. Cheerio. Cheerio.